Come on, you sissy, be a man. Don't cry. Grow some muscle, you puny wimp. Real men are ripped. Kick his ass. What? You ate a salad? Fucking rabbit food. Real men eat meat, and only meat, cooked over a fire on a stick. You want that woman? Fucking fuck her. What? She said no? So what? Inside, every no is a yes waiting to come out. You just gotta get it out of her by getting it in her. Know what I mean? We all know what toxic masculinity is. Or do we? Why is it suddenly a thing the media is obsessed with? And is it really a new phenomenon at all? Where does it come from? Is it simply an inherent aspect of being a male? How is it taught? How is it reinforced? How is it represented in the stories we read and watch? How do we diffuse it? What is the antidote? Join me and my intrepid co-host, Jen Zuko, as well as some other guests, as we embark on another semi-drunken exploration of the intersection of literature and society as we discuss problematic, toxic masculinity tropes. Here we are talking about toxic masculinity tropes. We have we have Paul joining toxic us again. <laughs> and and so yeah, my, my friend had to stop drinking because he was doing this violence to his liver. Oh. Right? Why? Yeah. Why? To- because toxic liver. Because we have this this part of being tough, part of being a man. You know, we you you have certain jobs in this society, you do certain things, live in certain cultures then you must do certain things like drink to excess repeatedly, right? Be violent, all that good stuff. And so here we are with our final um, problematic, toxic masculinity trope. Violence do you want, do you want to read the, Do you want to read the, um, the paragraph out to us? Because that's can. all we have. This is all we have. Violence is normal. So Jen writes, not only is violence a normal behavior trained in boys since early childhood, it's encouraged and even necessary in most social situations depicted by culture. Violent domination is the most commonly seen form of domination or entertainment and arts in the form of problematic masculine characters. I don't understand this last part, Jen. Taking their strength and power by force. Do you mean exercising their strength and power? Well, t- well, taking their power and exercising their strength so yes okay both things Mm, yeah no it's just the structure of the last part of the sentence that kind of made me go what but i know what you meant the only power is violent power right and you take and you take it by force and you exercise it by force as well so yeah both things are true that's that's kind of seems a little redundant well, I mean, you, you take it by force. So if you don't have power, you take it by force. If you do have well, power, you, you show it and, you know, use it. Well, no, I think you, I think you said the really important thing within that, which is that the only power is violent power. Right. I mean, this is right. Right. And you know me, I'm always the, the tedious political theorist, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a mm. long remarked upon notion in various sorts of political analyses that, I mean, well, this is a basic question, right? What does political power consist of or consist in, if you want to use the academic terminology, right? It's a monopoly on legal violence. I mean, ultimately, what does it mean to be in power? It means you're the guy that can kill the other person without legal repercussion. Okay, so how does that deal with, how does that connect to masculinity then? Well, I think think it connects to the, the basic, if the basic calculus of, of social power is a monopoly on legitimized violence. And the basic calculus of masculinity is one of dominance, then those two things sort of naturally harmonize together, right? In other words, if the nature of violence, or excuse me, if the nature of dominance is that you're the person that can perform acts of violence without repercussion, then, you know, then any sort of masculine construct that bases itself on hierarchy or bases itself on notions of dominance is going to base itself on power structures of legitimized violence. Yep. Okay. So Jason, I want to ask you because you were the one that just read the paragraph and we're, we've been talking about this for the past, I think the past seven tropes, actually I like all of them, including this one. Like we, what did you just smack? Oh, the bottom of my cooler with my beer. (laughs) 
the bottom was falling out. You just smacked your baby beer. Okay. I, I, um, I enacted <laughs> some violence against my little um, ice oh, bucket. Was it effective? Yeah, it got the bottom to stay in place. <laughs> oh, that's good. So, um, so my question is because we've we've been talking about for the past few tropes that this particular trope is going to sort of encompass all mm-hmm. of them, kind of at once in one trope. Right. So, so you know, as someone who is going to be writing this essay, I would like to ask both of you, gentlemen, how. How is that? Okay, two things. How is this a separate trope? And how does this relate to and how do I, I guess, ping each node of all of the rest of the tropes if I want to, in fact, do that? Because right now what I can see is the violence is normal thing has to do with how men are raised. And so the the trope characters that we see in pop culture are sort of coming from that. Like the whole thing about like last time in the last trope, we talked about a lot of commercials and like what's being, what's being sort of sold to boys and parents who are buying things for boys. So to me, I'm like, okay, so growing up, a boy is not supposed to play with things that don't incite violence. Like what, like you buy the action figures, not dolls. You buy, you know, little cars, not Barbie dolls, like stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So there's a sort of violent version of toys that are supposed to be marketed to boys like specifically. Correct. And that has to do with the boys don't cry and the boys will be boys trope. But I'm like, I'm just wondering what else, like how else does this sort of touch on each of the other tropes? Well, okay. So a lot of times with the earlier ones, we, you know, we're, the first one was focusing on size. The first one was so yeah. focusing on the second one. Well, and body, body dysmorphia and all that kind of like shit. Right. But primarily size and strength. Grow up yeah. was focusing on stoicism and, and, you know, lack like of emotional. emotion. Bond yeah. and James Bond was focusing on really on, on, on a, a general sense of dominance, both in that sexual realm and, and on, but also uh, class and style, being stylish. And, yeah, and, class and, and, and racism, too. And racism. Uh, the tale of the nerd turning into the neckbeard, that's the tale of, of, ex, of exercising strength and, and establishing that hierarchy, that, bat- that, that tension between um, hegemonic yeah. masculinity and, and, um, and uh, what's the other term? Well, that's... And What's the other term? Hegemonic masculinity and uh, hypermasculinity. And hypermasculinity, and how that can affect even our, our sub males who there there's still a power structure going on out there. And, and we pointed out how there's often emotional and physical violence that goes into that. Yeah. Um, the sassy that gay friend, there's not so much, there's no, there, we didn't really explicitly discuss violence in that one. No, you know, the, but, but the, the terrifying leather daddy, though. Does have a certain thing when you pull in, you know, that type of thing with, with how violence is used combined with sex to frighten men straight more or less and then of course mr mom we really didn't discuss so much violence in that one but i was thinking about that here was that interesting because so here's where i'm going with that when i sat down Uh to look at violence is normal what i was thinking about was well what's going to be our prime example movie right Oh yeah, the and I could I, I could not decide on any one single movie to be a prime example movie for violence is normal because it dawned on me that just about every Everything. fucking movie <laughs> has some has some type of violence present in it that either instigates the 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 arc of the movie. It's the movie is either a reaction to a violent moment. Right. It is it is dealing with or coping with the outfall of violence, or um, it is is there is a resolution that ri- arises out of violence. So, for instance, Mr. Mom, the nineteen eighty three movie that we discussed as the primary example of our Mr. Mom trope last time. Just something to see, yeah. The resolution. So Terry Gar's character, you know, when she has her big conflict with oh, Martin yeah. Mull's boss, punches she punches face. him in the face. Act of violence. Yeah. Also, yeah. there's there's a you know, and then Michael Keaton's character, he's been feminized throughout the whole movie, more or right. less, playing the Mr. Mom thing. And then what happens at there are two scenes at the end of the movie. One, he gets called into his old office. 
to be asked to defend himself against something. And mm-hmm. he realizes that his boss who fired him was cooking the books and doing bad things, which was why he got fired. So his boss was an right. asshole. And, and he had his kids with him in this scene. And the kid walks into the office and says, dad, whatever. And, and his old boss, played by Jeffrey Tambor, snaps at the kid. Oh right? And Keaton's <laughs> character says, you know, says very politely, says, son, you know, wait a second, I'll be right back. And then he turns to Tambor's character and says, if you talk like that to my kid again, I'm going to punch you in the face. And so that scene gets over. And then at the end of the movie, when Terry Gar comes home and she's followed by Martin Mull, who wants her to come back to the ad agency, you know, the one that she, the Martin yeah. Mull, who she punched in the face, Tambor's character shows up to beg Keaton to come back to work at twice his salary with a company car, right? And as they're negotiating this, the kid walks into the room and says something to his dad. Tambor's character snaps at the kid. Keaton punches him, right? Oh, so, oh. Again, he has reestablished his, his masculine dominance through an act of violence, just the way that Terry Gar has gotten out of her situation by a, a, a masculine act masculine of violence. She's masculine dominance by punching. Okay, that's interesting. And then the other thing I did was, so I thought to myself, well, fuck, if I can't isolate one movie that does not normalize violence or does not use violence as, as a driving or, or central element of the movie, whew, okay. I mean, maybe The Remains of the Day would be a good anti-non movie that doesn't have violence in it, but I've never seen it. And then I thought, well, well, you know, maybe Gandhi. But no, there's violence in that because you can't have a movie yeah. about a guy pushing non-violence resolutions to something without the violence that's enacted against him. So, you know, you've got the scene where he has his march in South Africa where he's beaten. You well, know, I would say the fact can, that he's can assassinated. Can we talk about Remains of the Day, by the way? In a minute. I was going like, to say, yeah, I was going to bring now. up Remains of the Day, too, because Remains of the Day is all about violence by... It's uh, about class violence. Yeah, it's about... Which, about, which, yeah. which I think is actually a yeah. really important part of this whole structure. Mm-hmm. Or formula. So, so may I kind of sort of sure. interject a, a sort of notion here? So... Um, so I, I realize I'm, I'm about to step into extremely fraught territory. So I'll try and be I'll try and be careful in terms of how I sort of frame all of this. But I mean, you know, we're we're asking question of when is violence normal, and you know, what is a what is a media event in which violence is normal? Well, well, my my trope is that violence is always normal for a male character, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the thesis. Right. And so, so, but I mean, an example of it that I don't think you explicitly worked with is, you know, any David Attenborough special on baboons, for example. <laughs> right. right. Here's where I'm going. And by the and, and this is, of course, terribly dangerous because as soon as you say this, people automatically assume that you are, there's, there's a funny coincidence going on between uh, naturalizing violence or na- gnarly male to, you know, tendencies and somehow legitimizes them, which I don't mm-hmm. in any way mean to do. But it's pretty well established biological silence, or so, excuse me, biological science, that <laughs> amongst primates, certain primate species, especially old world monkeys and apes, you have what are called tournament species, right. in which are entirely based around extremely violent structures of male dominance. And, that's and the way how, you get that is by fighting. Yeah, and that's and the, and and we can sit around and make gentle social critiques of baboon society all day long and worry about you know it's 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 varying levels of of inequality. But the reality is that you know baboons and gorillas and chimpanzees and you know not the bonobos because they were really freaky, but most other old world monkeys <laughs> and apes, right? Work on a basis in which male hierarchy is entirely dictated by violence all the time. And that's entirely how it works. And in and, and the biological sort of analysis of humans, and I would reference, you know, Robert Sapolsky here, who Jenny and I, I very much admire. You know, humans kind of sit in this funky in-between sort of thing. You know, we're so not it's quite, so it's it's tournament species and what's the other pair bonding species, right? Pair bonding. And we sort of sit in between these. So we have qualities of both, but there's this basic primate notion of a whole range of, of, you know, and we are a primate species and we belong to a long lineage of primate species with intense sexual dimorphism and males are bigger than females. And there's all these reasons for that. And so all these nasty sorts of things happen within that sort of structure. Right. And 
I think if you actually, I, I think it's actually always really interesting and tantalizing to sort of apply that primate lens to humans. Let's take The Remains of the Day, right? The Remains of the Day is basically a movie in which a subordinate male primate in Anthony Hopkins is denied the opportunity to mate with his preferred female, which is very, very common in any tournament species. The subordinate males never get to mate and may go their entire lives as incels and die in that fashion. And this is a dramatic, it's a dramatization of a person who is, of course, deeply in love and forms this deep emotional attachment to a woman. But because of their class status and his relegated class status, which is a proxy for his position within the overall violent social structure, he is prevented from ever doing so. And so the, the ultimate heartbreaking scene in the movie, we see them drawing away from one another train and crying. And really, it's just Spoilers. sort of a subordinate male baboon crying over a subordinate female baboon. Okay, but yeah. Sleep. No, but you're right. But then, but then we like humans are on the literally like in the middle. We're on the fence between the tournament and the pair bonding. So what that movie does is it shows us the tragedy of the of the tournament to exist space yeah. in the tournament. It shows species, us the tragedy of the of the of the pendulum. But we're not all that. Too far like, over that so way. where does the pair bonding part come in? It means that he is deeply attached, like literally and actually personally and emotionally, to that one person and that hierarchy shouldn't matter and that's where the tragedy comes in right is because hierarchy shouldn't matter in that well, case here, but it yeah, does but here, here comes me talking about politics and class which is that politics and i think it's a lovely argument to be made that that you know the british empire and we kind of actually talked about this the last time i was on the show talking about james bond right politics and class become these proxies for the traditional power structure and mm -hmm. it just simply shows the tra the tragedy of of the remains of the day is that politics and class wins mm -hmm. and the poor little subordinate fucker can't actually you know go and have sex with anybody because the dominant paradigm which is just an expression of primate behavior refined through lots of british gentility ends up winning the day Right, but 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 the other side of that is it's not just he can't just have not have sex with anybody. He can't have sex with the one, well, and that's where the other part of it comes in. That's where the pair bonding part of it comes in, right? Because we're both, and that's the thing where no, what like, that what that movie is about is the denial of the pair bonding urge. It's what's that's, that's, that's what, what he's what saying. I mean. That's right. That's exactly what I mean. The pair bonding yeah. urge is defeated yes. by the yes. power structure. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which is the tournament side of things. Yep. Because he right. he never but achieved in that, in that particular movie, the tournaments has already been decided long before he was even yes. born. Long oh, before um, he was born. Yep. And that's like that's so that's not a movie where we're having any like fist fights over women, which we have. Right. Well, but that's, so, but that's, but that's just it. But, but that's violence, violence manifests. Different. I mean, male violence manifests in incredibly subtle right. ways once you start to apply those dynamics. Yeah, it's really. It's subtle. actually very. You know, we to your to the to the notion of violence being normal. I'm actually arguing and saying yes, it is. In fact, it's so normal that it, nobody ever has to roll up their sleeves for it to happen. Right. Oh, right, right. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can pretty much pick any damn movie this is this is a i mean this is a trope that this is really your umbrella trope to it's almost to, beyond to, a trope it's almost to like toxic yeah. masculinity but it's this is your umbrella thing to toxic masculinity because this by saying yeah. violence is is normal violence is everything we have yeah. the ability to then Take a look at the way it manifests itself in other small areas. So you can use any, you can use every movie. Yeah, pretty much. For it. And so what you what you want to do is you want to kind of think of or find a movie or a couple of a handful of movies for this one that, you know, the, the James Bond movies get close. But, but they have not, their own trope. They have their own, they get, like I said, they get close because they, you know, Bond is not, Maybe Bond I is should... not the biggest of the big. He's, you know, he's has repeatedly defeated, you know, men who are larger than him. You know, maybe I need to like, maybe I need to come up with like, like a like a spectrum for this trope. I need to come up with like, I need to get like certain. I need to make a graph and like, like go from from what what Paul was saying about like you don't need to roll your sleeves up to be violent. Like mm -hmm. that kind of violence, like the right. whole violence, which is just the swallowing down your like, like from that 
to like a peak of the graph. Like I just need to make a graph and like just mm -hmm. have an example all along the graph of how violence is completely normalized along each type of like it's different types of violence. Right. Right. Or maybe this isn't a separate trope. Maybe this is just an aspect of all the other ones. No, it could be. Well, I'm asking you this just because I haven't written the article yet. If I'd already written the article, I'd just go back to the article. But I'm wanting to see how how this is going to come about. Like, is this just an aspect? Is is the concept of violence is normal just an aspect of all of them? And do I only have six tropes? And this is just part of everything? Or is well, I this mean, a I, separate I, thing that we could talk about? Like I said, I, I have my bias, you know, around this because I, I am really interested in sort of the, the whole behavioral evolutionary aspect of all this stuff. But, I mean, I think that there, whether it's a separate term or whether it's an underlying piece, I think that's a really interesting thing to, to discuss. But I, I, I mean, dude, having spent the entire day today at a corporate trade show around salespeople <laughs> and going through this whole kind of thing, I mean, there is no question at all that basic primate behavior around hierarchy and alpha gorillas and, you know, all this kind of stuff is deeply and profoundly woven into how male humans behave. Yeah. And I think yeah. that there's a, there's yeah. a really challenging paradox within that, of course, because as soon as you say that, inevitably somebody pops up and says, oh, well, that justifies any behavior. Let me take my dick out. Right. And, or, it's, or they say not all men. Well, but I think those are two separate things. I mean, I think that there's a notion where you kind of say, oh, yes, this is biological. Therefore, by means of being biological, that means it's, it's okay. okay. Right. So let me go ahead and behave right. in a support kind of way. And and that's just my, you know, and, and that gets really, really tricky. I'll come back to why that is in a second. But I mean, that, that there is certainly a view that says, yes, we can trace this to some sort of biological origin. And therefore, it's the way things are. And therefore, we should have carte blanche to kind of go forward and do it. Um I wouldn't agree with that. I don't think most people would. But at the same time, there is plenty of evidence to suggest that, yes, as a matter of fact, we are basically a primate species with attributes of both tournament and pair bonding behavior. And this is actually a little bit of how, how any group of men are going to experience their lives as being wired this way. And dealing the boys with that will be boys thing. Well, it's it, it creates a paradox, right? It creates a really, yeah. really difficult territory to manage. Yeah, you have to understand those. Go, go ahead. Boys will be boys is 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 an an apology. Yep, is an apology for for bad behavior. It's not. Yeah. It's yes. not or what he's talking. It's not what he's talking about, which is this right, right. is saying that because we evolved this way, well then let's just allow the acting to the the people to act that way. We just need to channel that action into some other. And just some other pattern. Oh, I see. Right. right. No, I see what you're saying. I see what right. you're saying. I, I'm actually kind of even more interested in how being on the fence between the two is manifesting even more than, well, I mean, like, like there's this book that I've read recently that I've, I'm about to start rereading. It's called The Professor in the Cage. And it's about a professor that starts doing like, like a fight training mm -hmm. procedure and he, he's also an academic. And so he starts to like analyze, like, why am I doing this? Why exactly am I doing this? How, how is this adding to my life? And is this just a normal thing that all men want to do? And why do we, if, if that's the case and like, what's the, what's the innate thing? And he kind of doesn't have <laughs> If, if I right. don't like anything, I'm, I'm gonging it for the rest of oh, the night. Oh, really? Because we're totally <laughs> going to disconnect you if you do that. Yeah, that's, you probably should. You're <laughs> not allowed in this conversation um, if you do that. So, okay, so at this point, here's 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 something that I think that I particularly want to bring up. And it's something that I've been wrestling with for years and years and years and years and years. As someone who who aspires to passivism, someone who... Um, is, is generally repulsed by violence. Mm -hmm. There are, put it quite bluntly, there is good violence and bad violence. Okay. And right, we see right. this, we see this particularly now in, in, in particularly in, in the personification of the Antifa movement, you know, the anti-fascists. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do not have a problem with the violence 
that is that is performed by Antifa against fascist groups because what the thing is because here's the thing is that when you have ideologies that particularly tap into the tournament aspect of of primate evolution like Mm -hmm. fascism various authoritarian movements you know nazism white supremacy those things have at their very central core a a worship and a a reliance and a dependence a necessity for violence. I mean, people will not voluntarily allow themselves to be exterminated. And so therefore those philosophies, fascism, you know, white supremacy, white nationalism, they have to be opposed with violence because they are going, their whole, in order for them to, to fulfill their, their end goal, they must eradicate those who are not in line with their philosophy. And that involves violence, extermination, exclusion, oppression. And people will not voluntarily suppress and exterminate themselves to benefit white nationalism. See what I'm saying? And yes, so there is, ha- there is a violence that can be good and useful. Yes. Oh, yeah. Within no, our totally species. Agree. And that's something that that is this is why I have a problem with Quentin Tarantino movies and Tarantino movies might be the thing to use for this trope. Violence is normal because violence is treated as if almost as if it's just blase. It's, it's like this live action cartoon thing. I was a lot of people like Tarantino. I've written about, I've written about Tarantino before in that his, his main thing about the way the, the specific way he uses violence in is that, it's not just that he makes it normal. It's that he makes you forget that it is. He makes you numb to it in a way that, like, I, I, I've, been ri- I've written about this before. I need to find this essay. But the whole thing in, in Pulp Fiction where the kid's head gets shot to bits in the car, right. right? Right. By the time we get to that point in the movie, we're laughing at that moment. Right. And then, of course, we stop and we go, holy shit, why did I just laugh at that? That's horrible. But then that's but that's why he, that's what he's literally doing. He's taking he is very specifically and very pointedly and very consciously taking violence and making us laugh at it and making us feel like it's not a big deal. That's a really interesting thing. Right. Yeah, maybe Tarantino's way of using that is something I should be talking and, about. And early Tarantino. Early Tarantino movies, I kind of went along with. I was like, okay, I get what we're doing here. There's a bit of extreme extremeness to the to the violence. Well, he makes you think about it. He makes you stop and go, "Wow, how come I'm okay, or am right. I okay with this?" Or yeah. But I lost. I completely lost interest. And oddly enough, you know, considering I what I had said before <laughs> about you know there being good and bad bad violence and and. And, you know, the fact that, you know, it is necessary to punch Nazis because you cannot negotiate with someone whose philosophy inherently possesses violence at its core. They if they can't get what they want through normal means, they will enact violence. That is the 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 their deepest wish is to en- enact violence, to exterminate. What's so normal, what's normal means right, as but, opposed so, to violence. So but but. Uh, where I lost interest in Tarantino was actually within Glorious Bastards because he, he almost, it almost, it was, it took the idea of, of, of punching Nazis to, I have a feeling that when people talk about Antifa being the actual instigators of violence at these racist marches, that what they're thinking of is that, oh, they're they're equating Antifa to to the to the allies in Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, who took the kind of violence and torture of Nazis to this kind of torture porn level, right? There and right. Oh, you know what? That's a good point, though. That I'm glad you brought that phrase up. Right. Good violence. Good violence will have a limit to which it will not go beyond. Whereas, you know, bad violence will will go and go and go until it. Yeah. So can I come in? Go ahead, Jen. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, just just you bringing up that phrase torture porn is very important, too, because we do have that. That is a thing Mm -hmm. where it's that porn being the definition of porn being something that you look at purely for. um, Titillation, shock value, you know, for the thrill and, and. Yeah. Can we come back to that? Cause I think I think that's useful to talk about. But 
I, I, I would like to really respectfully offer almost a total counterpoint to what Jason just said. And, and not a counterpoint in the sense of saying that Jason's wrong, because I don't think that he's wrong at all. But a counterpoint just in terms of feeling very differently about it. In terms of both the relationship to violence and in terms of the relationship to fascism. So mm -hmm. from my perspective, and again, this is not that I'm right and Jason's wrong or, or vice versa, but just as a different way of seeing it. Personally, um, and Jen, you know this better than almost anybody, I love consensual violence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've spent a huge portion of my life training for it and working incredibly hard and getting bruised and bloodied and broken boned for the privilege of being able to fight people who really know how. And it's something that I exult in and enjoy and have taken some of the most you know, profound joys in my life from participating in violence with people under certain circumstances. Now, I use the word consensual violence very deliberately. I abhor yeah. any form of non-consensual violence. I absolutely hate any form of bullying or anybody being forced into a violent situation they don't choose to. But I have a tremendous reverence uh, and have taken the deepest, some of the deepest joys of my life outside of childbearing and a few really profound sexual experiences have come from fighting people. And I think yeah. that there is for myself and not for everybody, but for myself, there's something really, really amazing that's accessible there. So I think, and that's, again, that's not to say that Jason's way of looking at violence and preferring a path that is pacifistic and nonviolent is wrong, but it means it's not at all. It's just that there, I think there are different paths of, of sort of coming to peace with the violent urge of humans. Well, but when I, let, well, let I me just like, hang on one, okay. one second. Let me just complete this, this one thought because I think it's meaningful. Um, when I come back around to fascism, because I have I've mixed feelings about Antifa for, and, and, and that whole thing, but uh, in, in Slovo Zizek's uh, Pervert's Guide to Ideology, he makes a really excellent point, I believe, about um, the best way to – he offers a theory on the best way to neutralize fascism and the best way to neutralize the fascistic urge oh, among yeah. young men. Oh, and yeah. he identifies um, the German industrial metal band Rammstein as the perfect example of this. And he shows some wonderful video clips of Till Lindemann from Rammstein goose-stepping on stage and doing all this kind of stuff. Um, anybody who's followed Rammstein knows that they're not uh, an ideological band, but they 100% play with the visual uh, stuff of fascism. And then, they, and then they, and they, they take it and they amplify it to the umpteenth degree. I mean, there's a the guy rides around the stage on a on a twelve foot animatronic cock that you know explodes ejaculatory foam over the audience, you know, and and Zizek describes that as harnessing the libidinal energy, the sort of young masculine, uh, highly sexualized black leather fetishistic energy of fascism, but then neutering it of all of its ideology. And turning it into something that is purely theater, purely play, purely display, as the, and posits that that is the best way of actually neutralizing the fascist urge versus confronting it in its own language. And of course, its own language is violence. So I'm not sure that I know the right answer to any, any of these things, but I think it's interesting to pose that counterpoint. I, I was going to say that what you're saying actually has to do with what Jason was saying and that there is good violence and bad violence. So if you're talking about being anti-fascist, what Rammstein is doing is they are taking a good form of violence, which is mercilessly mocking them and making them into a sort of a laughing stock, a laughing, a laughing cock, a laughing stock. Um, they're doing that as a form of good violence, right? So they put on the armbands and they step around and they do the giant, the, by the way, if you just need to have some absolute complete priapic joy in your life just go google that and find it on youtube it's this kind of glorious big like foam dance party but that's what they're doing is they're using <laughs> a good kind of violence which is merciless mockery right against someone who is a dangerous bully it's almost like like bullying them back in a better way do you know what i mean yeah i don't think you're saying anything that's necessarily opposite to what jason's saying i think you're saying like 
hey, look, there is some violence that is actually really very deeply pleasurable. And I, I totally yeah. agree with that. I'm a martial artist, too. And I agree with everything you've said about that. And that sometimes the passive, you know, the the peaceful protest, as we see today in 2019, right. sometimes the peaceful protest doesn't do shit. Right. Sometimes you have to do something violent, but what do you do that way? You don't just do it like you said in right. their same language, because then you're just being just as bad as they are. Yeah. But how do you? How, so how do you get your violence to be more effective? Well, let's let's let me be clear. I aspire to pacifism, but I realize that because because things right now are beyond the point of correction. So if you so one of the things that that I thought a lot about is, you know, there are ways to to thwart fascism in its embryonic state before it becomes dangerous. Right. And that has to do with education, you know, actually uh, embracing and and um, making it making it embarrassing and shameful for people to adopt mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. or at least publicly espouse their their fascistic ideology. That's a but way to that's a way that. to head <laughs> off the violence before it comes to violence. But when you have, you know, fascists, when you have white nationalists who who are brave enough to march in the streets, you are beyond the point of rationalizing or, or heading off in a peaceful fashion what these people are doing. You have to, the end, and this is something that I realized that, you know, I, ha I aspire to, to, to pacifism, to peacefulness, but I realize that there are people in this world that will embrace violence, and there are certain degrees to which they embrace violence, and you can meet them with pacifism. Gandhi pointed this out, but eventually he was even assassinated. So you have to keep that in mind. But he right. won a tremendous amount of freedom for India. He won India's independence with pacifism because the British Empire was capable of being shamed. Yeah, in yeah, its, right. in its domination, whereas you get into into Nazis, when you get into these white nationalists, they are incapable of being shamed. And so their violence continues to mount to the point where pacifism means you are acquiescing to your own extermination. And at that point, you you are either going to go underground or you're going to be forced to fight a war on 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 increasingly tenuous ground because they you have allowed their violence to escalate to a certain point. So my thing is that, you know, you see this stuff happening, these marches in the street. You, they have an autocrat in the White House now who just pets them like they're little, the nice little puppy kitten next door, gives them anything they want, blows the dog whistle when they want. You know, when, and what's going to happen if, if he loses this election or gets impeached? What's going to happen? There will be violence. And, this, and, and we see this, and I'm wondering, and this is where we kind of loop it back into movies into this trope because you know as as Karazan would say the world is written first everything that happens in it happens in language first we have been prepped mm -hmm. for our societal moment at this time by the movies and entertainment that we have been presented with by this particular trope of, of violence being the the normal default setting of human behavior and, and of male behavior in particular male behavior in particular and that's the other thing that kind of uh, one of the things I've always wa that I've wanted to bring up um, as we've been talking here is this idea of dual inheritance theory or gene culture coevolution, because despite us having qualities of, of tournament species and pair bonded species, unlike those other species, we have this cognitive awareness of our own existence and our own patterns. We can we choose. True. to behave differently. We can choose to structure and value things in our society differently yep. in order to yes. thwart this violence. And this starts with the way that we entertain ourselves. And we are completely from what, you know, like I said, I, I went out looking for a list of nonviolent movies and yeah, no. I, I found some, you know, <laughs> user curated list on IMDB by a guy that, that was supposed to be, you know, 200 and some, you know, great nonviolent movies. And one of the movies was the movie Troy, which was about the Trojan fucking war. What? Are you kidding me? Like, and what? I'm like going, um, we have to discuss How? what the fuck you mean by nonviolent asshole. I mean, that's one of the best fight scenes ever actually. 
So I have an, a little anecdote. I'm just going to insert this in here because I think it's relevant and we can make connections if you like. But right. I, I'm really inspired by this talk about making choices between the two sides of the fence that we are perched upon. Right. And about good violence versus bad violence. And, and violence itself is not necessarily a problem, but attaching violence only to male behavior only is right. the problem. So I have this anecdote. So in my real personal life, there is this really um, super drunk guy, like way drunker than, than all three of us. I know, I know, right? How is that possible? Um, I'm so working to catch up. Super I'm drunk. working to catch up. <laughs> He was super drunk and he, um, he started to be belligerent. He started to like say things and he was obviously like always this drunk. He was that kind of a person you could tell. And he started to yell at people and people were just kind of rolling their eyes and it was standing room only on the bus. And it was just kind of really, he was just basically infringing on everyone's space because it was a very enclosed space. Mm -hmm. You couldn't really, you couldn't just really like pull over just anywhere. We're on a bus. We're all standing room only. It's very crowded, you know, so it wasn't like we could do anything about it. It wasn't like you just leave the room because there was no room to leave. But he started yelling at everybody. People started to be kind of like, try and be gentle with him and kind of try to shut him up in a gentle way. It wasn't happening. He got worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And then he started to yell at this guy's kid. And this guy's like started to get really angry and almost started to become physically violent. And then it just came to a point where I grabbed this drunk guy by the backs of the shoulder. I was, I've been trained a little bit in sort of like, I've been trained a lot in martial arts, but just a little bit in what it takes to be like a bodyguard kind of, that kind of thing, right. like what you actually need to do in that way, not to like kill someone, but just to extract them from the premises. So I did that and I just grabbed him. Hi baby. I hear you talking. So I was, um, I just grabbed him by the back of the shoulders and I, and, and the bus driver at this point was like, okay, I have a safe place to pull over. He pulled over it at a, at a place at a stoplight where it was safe. He was able to pull over and I just took this guy by the shoulders and I basically threw him out of the butt off of the bus. <laughs> Jen, the bus bouncer. Right. So there are a couple <laughs> of things about that anecdote. One is that I used violence on him. I didn't hurt him. He wasn't hurt. But I did have to because if everyone had stayed peaceful, he would have gotten worse and worse and worse and right. probably would have hurt yeah, someone. That's a good point. He probably would have at least hurt the kid or the, the angry father would have hurt him or right. both of them would have hurt each other. Because, I mean, you know, who knows? Something would have been bad right. violence wise had I not used gentle or like you say, good force. Violence, you used force. force. I used force to get him off the bus. If I hadn't done that it would have been really bad and that would have right. been bad violence. Instead, I bodily threw the guy off of the bus and he was fine. And I'm sure he was fine mm -hmm. unless he got hit by a car or something on the side of the road. I don't know. That's not my problem, but do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like that's a matter of, so I used violence to stop the violence. So by using a little bit of violence that was okay and, and like, you know, quote unquote gentle, I wasn't gentle. I wasn't being gentle with him, but I didn't hurt him. But if no one had, had used violence, he would have created more. So A. B, if we're talking about these tropes in particular, what I also can relate is that I was not talked to by anybody on that bus that were pretty much mostly, there were like two women on the bus um, besides me, and no one spoke to me except for one person who was like, thank you. Right for doing that. And the bus driver was like, can I take your number? That was it. Right. The father and all the other men on the bus were like, shit, I should have done that. I could just totally feel it. So there's that too. So if we're talking about problematic tropes, that's the thing. Like, why wasn't that okay that I did that? And why did all those men feel bad about themselves for not having done that? Because it's assumed that the men would do that. Right. And that, you know, even though I'm probably bigger than most of the guys on the bus, that's not the point. The point is I'm a woman and that, that it's normal for a man to do that. It is not normal for a woman to do that. And that's where I think the problematic aspect of this trope comes up. Like you said, this trope is everywhere. There is no like movie that's not violent. But the thing that I am wanting to write about for this essay is that violence is not only not just normal for our society, for like us as primates. Right. But that violence is normal 
literally for men. And that's not normal for women. It's not at least societally, stereotypically societally. So like men are supposed to be violent. Women are not supposed to be. And this is exactly where that Mr. That's really fascinating. Well, that's That's fascinating. That's where the Mr. Mom thing comes in. We're like, oh, the women are supposed to be the good mothers. Men can't be good mothers. Men are predators. Men aren't good moms. Mm. Men are like, it's silly. It's funny if a man is a mom. Like, that's just stupid. That's not the way real life is. But it's, yeah, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, yeah, don't get me started on that. But but no, that's that's actually (laughs) really interesting because you just made a portrayal of justified violence that almost everybody would agree with, right? And it was controlled and it was safe and nobody really got hurt and everything else but it, it, it is interesting that the transgressive aspect of what happened was simply the fact that you did it versus that a woman did it yes exactly mm-hmm. if a man had done it, it would have almost been like okay cool yeah good job it would have been almost like normal i mean the fact that this guy was that violent meant that it wasn't at a normal rate because he needed to be ejected from the yeah. bus and i've been on lots of different hairy crazy bus rides that didn't actually need a person to be actually off the bus. It was just a sort of eye rolling situation, but, but yeah, no, you're right. Like the, the point is not that violence is normal because it totally is, but that violence is normal for men. That's how men supposedly as the stereotypes say, that's how they normally behave. Boys will be boys. Right. I don't know mm-hmm. if I have a mute button. I want to pop my beer, but I don't know if I have a mute. Do it. Just wait do a it. second. Let me see. Good. It's authentic. Okay. <laughs> it blends the be, whole. Blends okay. the atmosphere. It'll definitely we sound be better like, than your than your mic brushing against your shirt all the time. <laughs> oh God, sorry. God, why didn't you tell me? It's authentic too. You're just sitting there taking that violence and not like actually protesting against it. It's ear violence. Okay. Ready? We yeah. can say like like the Wine and Crime podcast. We can all go nice pop after I'm done. Ready? Mm, nice pop. Nice pop. No? Okay. Fine. That was nice. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So what's the, ba- so the basic, okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to organize this. I love all of the random conversations. This is all completely fruit, food for thought and fruit for my brain and I'm going to be writing multiple blog posts about all of the different tangents we go on, but I want right. to know about, okay, since I don't have an outline, here's so, the deal. So I'd offer, can I, let me offer two things. Can I offer two? Offer I, two. I, I think, I think it, it, <laughs> if, if it were me trying to tackle this topic, I would be looking at two things, which is that, first of all, I don't think you can ignore the importance of the importance of violence is a function of social order, right? In fact, right, right. violence right down to the definition of social order. Again, smarter people than me for many decades have made the observation that what else is the definition of state power if not a monopoly of legitimized violence, right? Yeah, yeah. Who mm-hmm. gets to kill you? Well, the Who cops get to kill, kill you. you. Your army gets to kill you. That's what's defined, right? It's you know. So I mean, the, everybody, you know, this and, and this goes right back to social contract theory. This goes back to Rousseau. This right. goes back to Thomas Paine. This goes back to you know stuff that I've been Thomas Hobbes. I mean, stuff that I've been studying my entire career. You know, the whole notion of the social contract is that you surrender certain personal freedoms in exchange for safety, protection, protection, right? Yeah. And the core freedom that you surrender in any social contract uh, theory, in any social contract construct, is the right to inflict violence on other people. How that is this gender? Adheres. No, it, 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 so let's let's take this through an 18th century lens for a moment, where everybody's a man, right? Okay. So if, if you're if you're Hobbes and Rousseau, right? In social contract, you if you're you not are a man, you're property. Yeah, no, you're I surrendering know. your value. You're, you're surrendering your right to commit acts of violence to the state. The state is the arbiter of violence from here on out. Right, right. And that's a core piece of what you know our social structures ever since then have been built on. Now, of yeah. course, you're absolutely right in pointing out that men's ability to commit violence and to limit the agency of women has is a long is a troublesome aspect of that. But that was always sort of the base piece of it. Yeah. So I think you talk about violence being normal, you first have to talk about state violence being normal. State, yeah. right, okay. Yeah. 
state-administered violence being normalized and structuralized within some form of social contract. Okay, that's one. What's two? So I think that's number one. And I think the, the other pole of that that has to be addressed is and which I think, by the way, these two things are intensely interactive. Mm-hmm, sure. The other pole is the primate aspect of human beings as a semi-tournament species in which oh, violence right. is the language of hierarchy. It's the language of social dominance. It's the language of who gets to beat up on who, who gets to fuck who, who gets to mate with who, who gets to get what. And that being something that's deeply woven into our culture at a very, very base level. So I think what you're trying to tell right, right. is actually something, on the one hand, kind of disarmingly simple, on the other hand, really complex in a gnarly way, which is how do we deal with the normalization of violence as a function of state power, on the one hand, and the normalization of violence as a basic function of primate human behavior on the other. And right, but then we can the, talk about how we have a choice and how to, on earth we make choices then in that situation, yeah. Well, the, I think the tension between the two becomes the fundamental thing. Yeah. Okay. And the evolution of it. You know, I mean, and, and, and I think you could go, this is where you have to be a little bit of, I, I would argue for a little bit of a historiological perspective and say, you know, what sorts of violence have been legitimized? Yeah. Well, right. for a long, long time, a man's right to beat his wife, for example, was was sacrosanct. That was not questioned. Till the 1900s. That's the rule of thumb, by the way. Hey, Boondock Saints, nice reference. Got it. Say, I got it. I got it. No, it's before Boondock Saints, but that's okay. That's cool. But I, thought was the girl the I know they talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I you can, mean, this you can is a be... pop culture. It's not. It's not a pop culture podcast. All right. Anyway. It is. It is. It is. It is. It branches out into everything, though. You're right, and that's actually really interesting because you can't have pop I, culture asking... if you don't first have culture. Exactly. Thank you. And I was also going to say. I was going to ask and, how how this Boondock is gendered. Saints fits nowhere into that equation, like <laughs> any culture and pop culture. But I was going to say that, like talking Although about my favorite movie, but... <laughs> okay, talking about both of those aspects, though, I was going to say, okay, and how does gender fit into this? It totally does because if you're talking about a the state enforced violence and b the biological in just sort of I don't know what would you call it knee jerk on the fence between the violent hierarchy and the pair bonding thing, that's completely gendered. That's totally male-centered. Both of those aspects of this problem are definitely male-centered. Both of them are. If you're talking, especially if we're talking, well, no, especially. Biologically, I don't think that actually holds up. Well, if we're talking about the, the, um, the tournament species thing, it definitely is. We're talking about being in, on the in terms of in, the in terms of intermale competition. Look, what's the absolute worst thing to ever run into in the woods? Bear wise. The bear wise? Oh, a mama yeah. bear. Yeah, yeah. Cubs, no, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to look at cu- you don't want to see cubs. Yeah. So I mean, okay. female female violence does exist in nature, and it exists in primate species and in many others. By the way, I'm not. In it. So again, here I am. I'm probably in trouble. I'm not meaning to suggest that females are violent. Rudyard Kipling and all that kind of stuff, notwithstanding. But no, no. I, know, I was. I mean, I'm just talking about how I can actually write this essay because this essay is about a toxic yeah, masculine trope. I'm not going to talk about mama bears. That's a whole different like thing. I'll put that back in the old tropes. Anyway, so no, my my point is like how how do I put this back into a toxic masculine trope? So, you know that that's only why I'm I'm playing around with that because that that those two points are definitely like surrounding men. I'm not saying that females can't be violent. Of course, the high. Hi, right. Exist, well, our, our whole our whole you know female I mean. violence thing was covered in the other the problematic badass yeah, female the bad, trope, the particularly female the uh, the um, yeah. um, mother knows best trope about how yes. violence is used. Violence by women is acceptable within the framework of defense of children, whereas and that's their only conclusion. Right, because because you know one of the things that I haven't heard when we talked about state sanctioned violence and and the other half of it. Is that, you know, we 
biological this is this is where this is where you know the the aspect of patriarchy where the the source of our toxic masculinity tropes are, are coming from here is this yeah. is the patriarchal structure within that patriarchal structure men are not only um not only is the state the arbiter of violence but men are the designated warriors whether they want right. to sure. be in sure. that role or not and this is right. this is the the pivotal thing for for anything with this trope is that you know all of this all of this is about the negation of the individual and this is the thing right. that has to this oh, is this okay. is what any trope is doing and this is what patriarchy does in the broader cultures it takes the individual is, yeah. it takes the individual variance and decides that you are either yeah. going to be feminine masculine and we don't allow anything in between and right, so, right. and so, by forcing the, what what makes it toxic, what makes violence toxic, what makes it this thing that we are worried about in this particular trope is that it that it forces it upon people, and then determines right. their their worth within the society based upon their capacity to enact it. And so, those men that are most concerned about their their status in this patriarchal society that embraces violence are going mm -hmm. to be the most violent because that's how they can get because there. they can then right. say i am a man look at it i have this willingness this capacity this 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 ability to an en enact violence to solve any damn problem that's hegemonic masculinity that's the unrealistic standards and yes exactly right and that comes from patriarchy thank you for bringing it back around to patriarchy that's absolutely that's super important and that should be the thread to, to all of these too because that's what makes because you can have your you can have your your state sanctioned violence which is good we kind of want that we want the state to say this type of violence is acceptable and that's a good point you know, because that that gets that gets acceptable violence out of the home, mm -hmm. it gets it out of the streets, and says violence is only acceptable when it is when it is in in conflict with another society. When you know diplomacy through other means, you know, as whoever the fuck that yeah. politician was that said that. Oh right, right. But the thing is, though, is that here's the other part: is that as we can get into this later. It might be a different trope. You know, as as society becomes more interconnected and interdependent. Global. Then that 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 state sanctioned violence, we have to really read we have to take a look at that again because sure, you yeah. cannot have the kind of state sanctioned violence that we had even in the early twentieth century without completely disrupting every fundamental sure. aspect of the society. If we have another, you know, global conflict and we might be heading towards one. Because, you know, the entire Russian thing right now is a desperate ploy to make their petrochemical industry they're, they're dependent upon their petrochemical industry. That is the only thing that is supporting their economy right now. Mm -hmm. Russia has, you know, hundreds of millions of people and they have an economy the size of Italy's, right. which right. only has like 60 million people, you know, and they are desperate to make petrochemicals, you know, profitable because that's the only thing propping up their economy. If that fails, they're a failed state, but they've got this whole, you know, kleptocracy in place and the only way they can do that is manipulation and fear and big daring moves no i think you you make a bunch of great points jason i mean they, we're going to have to really ahead. think about what the state sanctioned violence means because you know if, if russia gets desperate to they're going to start a fucking war and everything will collapse well they already fucked with our elections and all that stuff too though but, but yeah no, i think but, you know you make a really great basic point which is actually a, a really useful counterpoint to what i not counterpoint, but a complementary point to what I was saying, and mm -hmm. I wish I had emphasized it better. Which is when it's it's all very well to, to put on your little anarchist sweatshirt and and say, oh yeah, state monopoly of violence, blah blah. Well, who would you like to be monopolizing violence? You know, yeah, right? I, mean, I mean, someone's gonna you, you, certainly you not an autocrat, that. not a dictator. No, you want that to be a state that that is that is a functioning state that is a state that is that is legitimate that is right something that is up and by the that people operates that, on a, that operates on a pluralism that, that operates on on right. a pluralistic you right. know we're we're at a point right now where we're almost where these discussions of violence is 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 beyond academic it's it's 
we we are it's totally beyond academic. I would argue we are, that we're in a, we're, in a, we're in a condition right now where, particularly in America, you know, our 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 almost daily mass shootings and and all this yeah. other stuff where and 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 the fascist marching in the street and feeling perfectly legitimized to to you know talk about you know locking up gay people or or killing them or you know we've had this stuff been vocalized by by people in positions of of political power in this country the this confrontation this uh, this idea this this our 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 thoughts and ideas around violence right now are going are reaching a a crisis point we yeah, can either oh, yeah, we can either sure. embrace our uh our 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 pacifism and let the violence wash over us, or we can find a way to, to resist that. And yeah. well, yeah. And again, and like but I said, then how do we do that? Do we do use violence or? Right. And also even that discussion, my discussion to loop it back to what we're really talking about, which is media and entertainment and stuff like that is we, we are beyond the point where the things we can write are going to affect the immediate circumstances. Yeah, and it, it goes back and forth too, right? So, that, but as an artist, what people create reflects what we are, and what we are, refl- yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah. so even though we are reaching this crisis point in in our culture and society at this moment, we as writers, as creative people who are looking at these tropes that we've been talking about, we have to begin to, at this moment, even in this moment of crisis, even in this moment of uncertainty, even as as things are are. F- seeming to crumble around us to wrestle with these tropes and begin to write stories that are contrary to them, that, that subvert them, that establish a new way of looking at these things so that we, so that when we get through this dark period, we have a foundation upon which to build a better, more functional society. Unless of course, you know, we, Heat the World earth up ends. too much that we all boil yeah. in our skin, but eh. you know, whatever. Till then, <laughs> till then. But uh, actually, that's really interesting because what we were saying about the difference between the female tropes and the male tropes, the other, just I think it was either one or two other um, recordings ago, is that for the female tropes it was really easy because all we could say we had a really easy like solution. We're like, oh, we'll just have women in charge of more of the stories, right? Totally easy peasy. No problem at all. There you go. But for the masculine tropes, it's a lot harder. And that's why we've descended, not descended, but, but we've expanded. <laughs> we've expanded. No, not even detoured. Expanded. Expanded our conversation more into real life way more heavily than we ever did with the female tropes because right. men are in charge of the stories. And so in this patriarchy, we are looking at not only how the patriarchy damages women, which is la, la, women are oppressed, la, la, la. We all know Mm -hmm. this at this point. It's very, very obvious, very simple. We all know this. We're all trying to change that. But how does patriarchy damage men? How does patriarchy damage the way men behave? How are men questioning the way they behave and how are they able to deal with it? And like, just like you were saying the other day, Jason, is that, what, what's that? It's a lime. Is it an apple? That's a lime. No, no, go on and finish the statement. It's go a back. ball. Are you showing us your ball? <laughs> He's showing us his balls. Um, so what you were saying the other day when you were talking about that anecdote about how your friend was like, fuck off, I can't believe you're like that. And you're like, well, uh, I made a mistake. Am I not allowed to make a mistake? Like, it's hard for us. We're, you know, especially for, I'm, I'm saying us, like, quote unquote, especially white men. It's like, us well, people. yeah, okay, we would like us white men who are feminists how can we, how can we come down off of this, off of the, down from the castle? Like, and you know what, once we do that, because we totally want to, because it's right. hurting us too. Men are killing themselves every fucking second in this country. Right. And so, yeah, we totally want to do that. So when we do that, it's going to be hard and we're going to make some mistakes. We're going to fuck up a little bit. Right. And so we, we don't, don't make us retreat back into our little sand hole Right. You know, like the, but that's also to not to say we shouldn't be bit. held accountable when we fuck up. No, no, no. That's not the same thing. But, yeah. Right. Not the same thing. Like, yes, let us make mistakes. Let us make mistakes. Hold us accountable for sure. But don't make us all retreat back up onto our pedestal because right. that's not going to, it's just going to bring, it's going to keep the patriarchy up and it's not going to help anybody. So, right. yeah. 
Wow, is that a conclusion to all of them? <laughs> or is that <laughs> is total that... babbling? You tell no, me. It's only a beginning. It's you only ever tell a beginning. Me. Right. Well, the conclusion is the beginning, right? The conclusion of one thing well, is the, the beginning. Well, the conclusion of, the next of this episode. podcast is the beginning of the broader conversation among the, uh, you know, 5,000 people that download the show. Absolutely. Oh, 5,000 people? Well, I've had 5,000 total downloads since we started. So I don't know if that means <gasps> 5,000 people in general. Just like 5,000. Yeah, I don't know how many people. Five of them are me. I mean, it's at one any guy. one time, maybe 30 people download a specific episode. They're bots and stuff. I don't know. I've had people Yay. tell me that they listen We're to We're very people. popular with Russian bots. Yay. Actually, most of the downloads come from California, Kansas, and New Jersey. So That's... Some of that no, makes sense. Dania, dude. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say hang loose in Russian? Let's say, good night, everybody. Hey. Hey, buddy. Hey. The Outrider Podcast is orchestrated by me, Jason Quinn Malott, and audio production magic is performed by Heather Ann Eden. You can find the show online at jquinnmalott.com, and if you would, please hop on iTunes and give us a rating. We'll be back later in 2020 with more mini-series, live shows, and one-on-one conversations with writers, editors, and publishers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.